Welcome to the Rumination for Parsha Shlach Lecha. This is Met and Shlomo, and here we go with the Birkat HaTorah. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedeshanu BeMetzotav Etzivanu LaAsok BeDivrei Torah, VeHaRevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torah Teka, BeFinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael, VeNiyah Naknu VeTzetzeinu VeTzetzei Amka Beit Yisrael. Kulano Yodea Shemeka Velomde Torateka Lishma. Baruch Ata Aronai Hamlamet Torah Leamo Yisrael. Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. All right, take it away. And I will add to your prayer. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore. And not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. You know that last statement you mentioned of the bracha of open my eyes that I may behold beautiful and wondrous things in your Torah. That is actually Gal Anai, which is Rabbi Ginsburg's uh, ministry. Nice. So for all the Ginsburg Trugman fans, you know, that's uh that's what that's all about. Gal ain't I. Amen. Okay, so we're on rumination thirty-five. Yep. If there is one king, how can there be two standards or two laws? There are teachers that say that the Torah is abolished. They've played games with the scriptures and created elaborate theologies to distinguish between moral law, civil law, and ritual law, quote unquote. They do this for one reason, to separate Jew and Gentile, a.k.a. Christian. This 1900-year-old heresy uses dispensations or covenants as theological methods to make it quite clear that the followers of Jesus, quote-unquote, are not to be confused with Jews. Yes, it all boils down to just that. And we both know that this uh, stands in stark contradiction to the Torah. 100%. Because we find in the previous Parsha that there is one 
king, there is one Torah, and there is one people. There are not two distinct peoples. There are not two distinct standards of righteousness. There's, there's only one. So this is definitely going to be reference to Ephesians 4. So just, well, I mean, I know we actually have uh, Ephesians quoted in here in the rumination, but uh, there's a specific verse uh, in chapter 4, verse 4. So it's interesting. You can remember this really, really easy. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And then if you read the rest of the context, there is one Hashem, there is one Emunah, there is one Tevila, which is actually the action of immersing in a mikvah is called Tevila. So you Tavl, it's from the root Tavl, which actually rearranges to be tool if you uh, permutate the letters. So you basically nullify yourself in the primordial waters of the Torah. That's what that means. The one baptism is commonly called. And it says in verse six, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's a good Zerah Shabbat because I'm thinking Exodus 25, verse 8. Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell in them. Betel come. Wow. Wow. The ultimate union of the people. The Mishkan. The Yisod bringing vitality or the Torah. To okay. Uh, what's interesting about this, I was going over the very verse two of the opening Sidra. And I'm going back and forth between the Rambam and the Orkaim. They're in agreement regarding the spies, but not just the spies, but also Moshe. And what emerges is a narrative that should not have been gone along with in the first place. Really interesting. I mean, it really, it really stood out. Um, I mean, we know how in Christian theology, just like it says in this opening paragraph of this rumination that Christianity has separated itself. They're creating their own narrative that is separate and distinct from greater Israel. And it's, it was never supposed to be.
I mean, the church, you know, they got the Pentecost thing going. I know I've known this for 30 years. Oh, it's the birthday of the church, so to speak. Um, but we see in the language of Acts 2 that that is simply not the case. That's not what Peter is talking about because he quotes profusely from the Tanakh. Uh, like numerous places in the Psalms, you know, um, like I will raise up the fallen sukkah of Melek David. Right. Which means you have to understand some code. Yes. And how can you understand it if you don't observe it? That's right. Because what, what are all the feasts really? They are rehearsals. We're getting ready when the king does come. Because Yeshua says, when the son of man returns, will he find Emunah Ba'aretz in the earth? Will he find it? And it can only be found among those who obey the voice that spoke from Sinai. And we know what his will is. It's been revealed. His holy Torah. We have, we have no doubts of this. But for some believers, it's a problem. Why? Because they're choosing to listen to man. Rather than the people with whom the oracles of God have been entrusted. Which is Stephen's statement in Acts 7. You have been given the oracles, plural, that is, that is the written Torah and the oral Torah, but you have not kept them. And you're speaking to a very specific group of Pharisees. Um, and it, it is known that the master held to the Pharisee um, halakha in many respects. In, in what he says, but he also cites with Hillel, you know, between Hillel and Shemai, because those are the two main houses of learning just before the days of our master. I think when Yeshua was around, oh, let's say 12, I think Hillel was still around at that time, historically speaking. And you had a lot of the... Um, I guess you could call them Rishonim of the day. Because this is this is still the Talmudic period. Right. It's, it went from roughly about 300 BCE to about oh, 2 or 300 CE, about a 600-year period. And so it's safe to say that half of, almost all of what the Master says in the Gospels are Talmudic. Very deeply rooted. So, right. yeah, that's the interesting thing that you find a lot of the insights that we find from the master's teachings and from the apostles. And it's just like, wait a minute, that's that's codified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's oral Torah. It's 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 um, part of the the hidden Torah. Because a lot of the agotics that are that are used in the Talmud are like gatekeepers. 
they protect the knowledge that is written, that is in there, preventing those who are unlearned. This is Peter's warning, 2 Peter 3, 16. Those who are unlearned, they wrestle with it. And what does he mean by unlearned? Those who are unfamiliar with the words of the rabbis, the sages. And as sages is in the plural because it consisted of 70 men who were Torah Kakam, they're Torah scholars of the highest caliber. And these are men who poured over Torah day and night. I mean, you know, that verse in Tehillim 1, you know, and his delight is in the Torah of a gem, and day and night they meditate on it. You know, their mind is stayed on it. Um, But that's what's uh, so interesting. Um, I kind of see that with the spies and what I've been studying here during the week. Um, Because I was bouncing this off of uh, Ray last night because we were going over this. and how we have this narrative that that simply was not there. But what these spies did, they created their own narrative. And the other issue is, is that Moshe actually fell into it. Really? He gets caught up in it. And as I read the Ramban and the Orkaim, it, w- it will become clear. Because um, what I'm doing is I'm opening these up so we can get into it. Because it is what I'll do is I'll read from the Ramban here and I'll verse two. So what's interesting, you know, Shalaklika Anashim. And Anashim is allusion to the the men, the heads of the tribes. One of each were picked and they were sent. And note that Hashem did not explicitly tell Moshe to send them. It's not explicit on Hashem's part because it look it says Shalak Lika, send for yourself. This is your doing. I have nothing mm-hmm. to do with this. Why does the Torah phrase it this way? And then you have the word Anashim, which alludes to the stature of the men being sent. Mm. Yeah, because it doesn't use Adam, which is the highest. Yeah. You know, send for yourself men. But the Hebrew is a lot more clear than the English word because of it being a masculine plural. If you read, if you saw the word uh, men, oh, what, is he only sending one guy? <laughs> See, that, that's where the English gets ambiguous, but the Hebrew is quite clear. So... Um, the Rambam asked, who initiated the idea to send the spies? Right there. And Rambam always quotes Rashi. This is why I like studying Rambam. He always quotes Rashi. <laughs> hey, you got to start with that, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's part of classic Torah learning. You got to study Rashi if you really want to, you know, because he... 
he gives you the push shot and he never strays from it. But it, within it, you'll get the drosh, but you got to search it out, though. You, you got to labor. You got to plow the field, so to speak. Yeah, except when it comes to Zizit. And when it talks about the temple in Exodus 15, Rashi just goes to these higher, deep levels. <laughs> and it's just like, wait, what? Mr. Pashat? What you doing? You know? But yeah, I mean, mostly he's Pashat. So it's just kind of like, well, what's significant about these? And it's crazy, too, to think, okay, the Zit Zit and then the temple, like, those two things in particular among probably many other examples uh it's just interesting to think of what's the correlation between those you know you know what's interesting is uh baruch Rappaport, the rabbi who sends me the the verse with rashi and i mm -hmm. remember it from last year is why does rashi juxtapose the incident with miriam with the sending of the spies What does he say? Is that the incident with the spies, they didn't learn from the incident with Miriam and Aharon. So you realize what you're basically saying is speaking against Hashem was also speaking against Moshe, which was also speaking against the land. What do we have here in this Parsha? Okay. <laughs> they spoke against the land. Yeah. Yeah. They were focused on the natural things and not the spiritual. Wow. So what is Shaul saying in 1 Corinthians 10? That they all drank from that rock and that rock was Mashiach. That's right. So the Ramban says, send forth for yourself means by your own decision. You, you Moshe are making this decision. You're the one that's initiating this action. I do not command you to do so. If you wish, send forth. For Israel had come to Moses and said, let us send men ahead of us. As it says, all of you approached me and said, let us send men ahead of us. Devarim 122. And Moses consulted the divine presence as to how to respond. Then God then said, I've already told them that the land is good. That's the first one. Right. The land is good. What, what does Hashem tell? This is another Gerashavah. Go back to Exodus 3.8. How's that, how's that verse phrased? And I will bring you to a land of milk and honey, a good land. Uh, okay. The act of redemption. This is part of the act of redemption, the narrative of redemption. 
this is the, the, I always say this, and I always have to remind people that the main theme of the Tanakh is redemption. So you got grace in the first Torah portion <laughs> and yes. an overarching yes. thing of redemption. <laughs> yep. Wow. As it says, I shall bring you up from the affliction of Egypt to a good land. Exodus 3.17 and also verse 8. Do you notice what the Ramban is doing here? He's employing Gezerah Shavah here. Just right. like the sages do in the Talmud. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I swear by their lives that I will now give them room for room to err through the words of the spies that they wish to send. You know, this, okay, so, uh, so that they shall not take possession of it. The above is a quote from Rashi taken from the words of the Agata of the sages. This also reminds me of something else in the garden. Okay, we know that Adam was created outside the garden in a place of thorns, the Midrash says. Mm -hmm. And after he created Adam, then he places him in the garden. Okay, so Adam knows the consequence. But yet he erred and listening to his wife and taking the fruit and eating it when he could have stopped her from eating the fruit in the first place. But no, they got their own little narrative going, clothing, covering up their sin with fig leaves, you know, just trying to cover it up their own way to no avail, of course. Because I like how I like how Ankylos renders, and they heard the the sound of the Devar walking in the midst of the garden, and they were afraid, and they hid themselves. You know, it says, "Perfect love cast out fear." So, basically, you have this interplay between not believing in Hashem, particularly in his word. And then the result of that is fearing his word. And then to make matters worse, you have the devices of man. And you think about what happens with Christianity is that you create this device of the human mind and it is all propelled by fear because the the word in which Hashem has given us is the very word that's rejected and is not trusted so it's like this vicious cycle so when you really think about it the sin of the spies is continuing with the the onset of Christianity. 
Yep. Yeah. Excellent. It's yeah. Um, so the Rambam questions Rashi's approach, but there is a question to ask here. If it is so that the people sin in their request to send spies, then Moshe himself sinned in the same mat in the same matter. For it is written that Moses said, "The idea was good in my eyes." Deuteronomy one twenty three. See, now this narrative is coming to the surface. So the same thing that Chava said is the same thing that Moshe said. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. <laughs> or the Nakash poisoned her. She yeah. ate. Thinking it was good to the eyes. You know, it's, it's the same problem we always run into and we get tempted with by the satan when he comes along and says oh did god really say you should do that oh do you really need to do that more it's more to yetzer hurrah right um but yeah that you know we run into that one all the time and it's really a test to see if we'll make the right decision whether or not we love hashem with all our heart all our soul and all that we have so your face. Yeah. In some situations, your emunah is going to be constantly tested, you know. Otherwise, how how can you grow? How can you mature, you know? Yeah, I was thinking about um, Rabbi Trugman, first of all, he brought this down uh, in his article this week. Uh, he basically talked about the sin of the spies and the tikkun being the zitzit and so with that being said you know the zitzit bring us back to the shema and the the what did he call it the um basically the violation of what ended up happening was the sight and the hearing so we we hurt our sight by not looking good at the land you know, we, we decided, okay, the land is not good in our eyes. And then in our ears, we allowed the message of the land is not good. So then, which with what you were just saying, I was thinking about Yaakov's writings in chapter one, where he says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You know, like, so really when it comes to the temptation, it's because there's something that hasn't been dealt with inside of us. So in order for the poison of the serpent to do its work, it's something that's been, uh, that, that's unrectified within us. So there's like this sense of, well, we don't want to go into the land or there's this sense of, yeah, I want to eat the fruit, you know? And because of that, now you can have that opening be taken advantage of. Yeah, this also goes to intent, Kabana. You um, know, it, is this why the Zit Zit are like these, these strands that we bring together? They 
they're all bound up. You know, like when we look at the Zeet Zeet, we see it's like to us, you know, the part that we we start to look at, you know, their strings and then they go into binding, binding, binding and then attached to the garment, you know, like there's this process of the brokenness coming together, you know, like being bound up. And then we have the tefillin on top of that binding and then what do we learn about the Mashiach? He is sitting at the gates of Rome, binding up his scars with the lepers. You know, so like the whole tikkun is about taking our hearing, taking our sight, taking all of our desires, binding them up, bringing those rectifications. But I know you were going somewhere. I just wanted to mention that as you were bringing this down, Zillard made me think about. Uh, okay. Oh, that's that's good. Um, it's in the Ramban continues. And why did he say in his inquiry regarding the land? Is it good or is it bad? Below verse 19. After it was told to him in the beginning by God that the land is good and spacious, Exodus 3.8, the verse I was quoting earlier. Nice. He too should have trusted God, bit the cone, had confidence. This shows that how easily the mob wants to sway you, the Arab Rav. They just mm. want to come in there and just make a wreck of everything. It's like they're coming in with a wrecking ball and saying, we want to do it our way. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't have to do those Jewish things, the church says. They're not Jewish things. They are the very commandments of Hashem. They're his loving instructions. It's just that the Jewish people were taken out of Mitzrayim so that they could be a treasured people, a kingdom of priests. Uh, Rabbi Nachman writes in Likute Moran in the first volume that we are tasked to bring strength to the kingdom of holiness. And in that sense, we sanctify the name of Hashem, Kedush Hashem. So the Ramban raises several general questions pertaining to this episode. The first question, furthermore, what wrong did the spies do? For Moses specifically told them, see the land. How is it? See, at this point, you should be asking, why is even, why does the Torah tell us this? Why is Moshe saying, go see the land? How is it? Hashem's already told you that the land is good. It's spacious. It's like he says, he should have trusted God. It's an exclamation point at the end of that sentence. <laughs> you know, he's being pretty blatant there, you know. Um 
you know, see the land, how is it, and the people that dwells in it, is it strong or weak? Is it few or numerous? Uh, below verse 18, and he said further regarding the cities, are they open or are they fortified? In any case, then they were required to provide answers to him about what he instructed them to investigate. So what was their transgression and what was their sin when they said to him that the people that dwells in the land is powerful? The cities are fortified and very great. Verse 28. Was it in order that they should give a false report that he sent them? So the Rambam negates the possible answer to this last question. And do not think to answer that indeed their sin was not in their general report, but only in their slander of the land. That it is a land that devours its inhabitants, verse 32. This is not so because Caleb's dispute with them took place even before they said this slander to the people. It is clear then that the spies did something wrong in the way that they presented their answers to Moshe. Moshe's questions, presumably by extenuating the frightening strength of the natives. Rambam provides support for this idea. Likewise, it is written elsewhere concerning this incident that the people said, our brothers have melted our hearts saying, a people greater and taller than we etc. Deuteronomy 128. And here it is written that they said, why is Hashem bringing us to this land to die by the sword? Our wives and young children will be taken captive uh, below uh, 14.3. Rambam raises another general question based on the idea he has just established. Now we find that Moshe said the words exactly like these two the next generation of the Israelites, their children. He repeated these same words to that generation that was about to cross the Jordan. <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> he, he, obviously, is he anticipating sin mm. or transgression? You know, a uh, 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 vote, you know, um, Right. Because later, spies do get sent into the land. But it was only two, and it was under Yehoshua. And one of them was Caleb, and the other one was Pincus. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole rectification, you know, like, let's not send 12, because that didn't really work out, because only two came back. You know, it's like, this time we're going to send two. And, you know, it's actually a very different uh, approach. We talked, you mentioned Kavana a minute ago, Kavana. Well, the intent this time was, no, we're going in. We're, we're not stopping. We're not looking for a way out. That's the big difference. Yeah. Um, okay, so... And he, in fact, accentuated the strength of the people and the fortification of their cities and the strength of the giants much more than what the spies had said to their fathers. 
In other words, Moshe was exaggerating beyond even what the spies were saying. As it is written that he said, Here or Israel, today you cross the Jordan to come and drive out nations that are greater and mightier than you. Cities that are great and fortified up to the heavens, a great and lofty people, children of giants, that you knew and of whom you have heard. Who can stand up against the children of the giant? Deuteronomy 9, 1 and 2. And if the transgression of the spies and their sin was in this very matter, i.e., and extenuating the superior might of the natives, why would Moshe dissuade the heart of the children in the same way that the spies dissuaded the heart of their fathers? So Rambam raises a third uh, general question. Furthermore, what purpose did Moshe have in mind for this mission? If the spies will report that the land is good and the people weak, then good, but if they would report that the land is bad and the people strong, did he think he would take them back to Egypt? Because they kept clamoring for that. Right. And by the way, there was nothing left in Mitzrayim. Yeah, what are you going back to? It's like a nuclear bomb went off. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you heard the Midrash on Parsha Beshalach where the uh, the sea was being split and it says Hashem lifted up Mitzrayim and shook it. So while the sea was being split, the land was elevated just enough so the people could see what was going on with the Egyptians perishing in the sea. And at the same time, he was shaking the land while it was lifted up in the air. Uh-oh. That like, reminds me of, um, yeah, I think it's in Avodah Zarah. He turned Sinai up, upside down. Yeah. <laughs> like a bathtub, and he holds it over them and as if to coerce them to accept the Torah. Right. I'm going to dump this on you if you say no. <laughs> you know, but the unit, but they also says that the universe would have come to an end had they said, Israel said no. Thanks, exactly. they didn't. I mean, I mean, <laughs> um, but what's interesting, even though the 70 nations said no, look what's happening in our day, they're starting to say yes. Man, I'm so glad you said that. That's a powerful statement. <clears throat> I mean, the church has, Christian theology has camouflaged it. Made it look like, oh, we're the new people of God, you know. But like this rumination starts out, if there's one king, how can there be two standards? Hashem only gave one Torah. Torah Ekat. <laughs> right. And how many languages did he speak when he gave it? 
70s. That's why they say each nation was offered, but it's in Avodah Zarah. They all came up with an excuse. Here we are with the spies again. <laughs> Excuses. Everyone's got one. <laughs> um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to delve into the Orkaim. All right. He gets really interesting, too, on this. Okay. Verse 2, send for yourself, men, etc. Orkaim questions the wording of this verse. We need to understand the verse's statement for yourself surely the spies were not sent for the benefit of moshe alone now our sages of blessed memory explain uh sota 34b that for yourself implied the following you may send them by your own choice see he's agreeing with the rambam but i hashem am not commanding you to do so however it's difficult to understand why Hashem would allow the evil that his nation was planning to do. He's getting at the heart of the matter here, the Kavana. Here we go. And why and okay, and why his word would come down to support the plan of wicked people. <laughs> From the sage's explanation, it appears that Hashem opposed sending out the spies. But if so, why would he allow Moshe to send them? The original source of the sin of the spies in trapping Moshe. Orkaim explains, to understand this matter, I will raise the following basic question about the sin of the spies. From whose belly did the ice go forth? That is, what was the original source of the great evil that resulted from sending the spies? Presumably, there was an, an initial smaller sin that led to the terrible sin of the spies. See, that makes perfect sense because you always start off with a small transgression and what happens, it starts growing and growing. You get entangled and before you know it, you're just like, what happened? Because mm -hmm. that's how the sages uh, view sin as an entanglement. What was that initial sin? If you suggest that the evil that resulted came about because of the act of sending out the spies, which was wicked in of itself, that cannot be true. Because the act of sending them out was not inherently evil. For in fact, we find that Yehoshua did the same. You just pointed this out earlier. Sending two men to... Jericho as spies and they spied out the land. Uh, Yehoshua 2.1. Thus it is clear that the act of sending the spies is not inherently evil. If the sin came because the spies themselves were wicked people, this also cannot be true. For in fact, we find that these men 
were chosen by the word of Hashem himself. Hmm. We have the Devar again. who examines hearts and minds. Okay. Remember last week we were reading from Timothy? Yep. That he dwells in unapproachable light. And how I brought the imagery of the Yom HaKippurim when the Kohen Gadol comes out and the Ohel Moed is filled with this, the black smoke of the Mizbeach Keteret. And the only thing he can see is the the menorah, right? The almond blossoms that are shaped like eyes. Who examines the hearts and minds? Uh, Shaul uh, says this in Romans. Is there any that seeks after him? Wow. Surely Hashem would not have chosen wicked people for this task. And indeed, the Torah testifies about them. They were all distinguished men, meaning they were all righteous men. Rashi there. That's what Rashi says. Orkayim identifies the initial sin that led to the greater sin. However, the matter can be explained according to the words of the sages of blessed memory and, and Yalkut Shimoni uh, 742, who said, and this is a quote, initially the Jews gathered before Moshe to ask that he send spies and he refused. He said to them, Hashem already promised us the land. Spies are not needed. To convince Moshe, the people said to him, that the Canaanite nations know that we are coming to drive them out and are certainly hiding their valuables so that when the Jews arrive, they will find nothing. And thus Hashem's promise of abundant riches will be nullified, heaven forbid. And then upon learning this, Moshe looked with favor upon their suggestion, Deuteronomy 122, and they will spy out Ve'yachparu, the land for us. The term Ve'yachparu, and they shall spy out, can also be translated as, and they shall dig. Thus, it refers to the holes that were dug, Kafiros, uh, for the Canaanites to hide their valuables. The Jews argued that the spies should be sent to uncover these hiding places. Once Moshe heard this, he fell into their trap. The quote ends here. Hmm. They're, they're concerned about material wealth. What did they come out of Mitzrayim with? Right. That's exactly what I was going to say, because you have the juxtaposition that Israel was going from house to house, collecting all the values. Moshe was going about searching for the bones of Yosef. So now we have a reverse. 
that we're no longer focused on the bones of Yosef. We're now focused on the essence of the redemption. We're now focused on that materiality and the entanglement that comes with it. But yet the argument of the spies is, no, we shouldn't go into the land because we're going to get stuck in materiality. Because we're going to have to work the land. We won't be able to study the Torah. They were sitting on a spiritual high. They were sitting at the foot of Sinai for a whole year. At this part point in the narrative of the Torah, the Mishkan's erected. It's been dedicated. They're starting to bring their offerings to the Kohen. And now we come to a point where they're about to enter the land. Hashem has already told them the land is good, spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I also have sworn to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov that I would give it to your descendants. Why are you worried about the giants? Unless we forget that David slew a giant with a mere stone and a sling. You come here with sword and shield in defiance of Hashem, the God of Israel, in whose name that I come and I will feed your carcass to the birds today. <laughs> they didn't right. have that attitude. They did not have this attitude. Only Caleb and Yehoshua did. We can take them down, man. Come on, let's go. Mm. But they practically picked up stones to stone those two. Almost as bad as the sin of the golden calf just about, you know? Well, it's interesting because it happened on the same time frame. You know, you have the book in the golden calf being the beginning of the three weeks and then ultimately the sin of the spies at the end of the three weeks. And it's interesting too because David slew giants with stones Yehoshua and Caleb have the same mentality and the same uh, zeal as David but yet the people wanted to throw stones at them but they were afraid of giants (laughs) Caleb and Yehoshua were not afraid of giants like I'm loving the way this, this interaction is going on with all the different pieces like being out of alignment and it's just like okay let's put it back in place you know so you have david slaying goliath being a tycoon of this picture of the spies and the bad report yeah it's like you know yehoshua is doing tycoon for the land because of of the spies here by sending them and here's another thing is, um, I believe that was the half tour for last. I think it's the half tour for this week. Is Yehoshua? And yes, I, it is. It is the, the with the story of Rechav. Yeah, and what's interesting is the gematria for Rechav is two hundred and ten. The exact number oh. of years. The exact number of years that Israel was in Mitzrayim. Golash HaRishon. Wow. 
So the Haftarah is about Yetziat Mitzrayim, the the Exodus from Egypt, and the fact of Yehoshua and no Caleb and Pincus sent by Yehoshua go to this two hundred and ten to go to Rehab, and they lodge with her. She sends them out. She says. Hey, just make sure, you know, our family is safe. You know, and she puts the scarlet thread down. And so you have this whole picture of this captive woman because the Midrash goes into her backstory. But since the time of the children of Israel leaving Mitzrayim, she was taken into captivity to become used as a harlot against her own will. So she spent 40 years uh, awaiting the time of freedom. The number of and, years Israel spent wandering in the wilderness as a decree of the heaven and the court because of the spies. Right. And then you have the fact that she represents the 210 years, which is the time we were waiting <laughs> to get out of Mitzrayim. Man, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, fell into their trap. Things are blessed, man. The Orkayim explains the teaching of the sages. Now, since the sages of blessed memory were careful to say that Moshe fell into their trap, quote unquote. This shows that the people spoke deceitfully and entrapped Moshe with cunning. But it is not clear exactly what words of deceit they spoke to entrap him. The answer is as follows. In fact, there, were, there are two types of spying. One is the spying done before a battle, such as to find out which road to use, as well as to find out whether it is necessary for all of the Jewish people to go up to fight the battle or whether a portion of them would be enough. This is like the report given by the spies sent against the city of Ai who brought the following word back to Yehoshua, Yehoshua 7.3, against the city of Ai. Um, the entire nation need not go up about 2,000 men or 3,000 men should go up to strike AI. Do not worry the entire nation there. In that case, the spies helped Yehoshua formulate tactics for the battle. However, this kind of spying is done only for the purpose of conquering a particular city that the nation is approaching. And when they conquer the city, you know, that city, and decide to besiege another city, they spy upon the new city. In that same way, and so on with each city they approach. First one, and then the, and then the other. This was an acceptable way to spy out the land, one that Yehoshua himself employed. In other words, he's gathering what's called actionable intelligence. 
the basis tactics upon. Mm-hmm. So the Orkaim obviously understands actionable intelligence because this is how <laughs> our intelligence agencies operate. The other rule is there's no such thing as current intelligence. It can, also, it can also be, it also can be termed the fog of war. Mm-hmm. Meaning you can gather what, okay, you gather your information, like he's saying here, right? They're going to attack AI, for example. Okay, the spies have, the spies need time to return with this information. And you can probably be spending the next few days getting your army ready or that portion of your army ready to move out to attack AI. And if AI became aware of the spies, then they have a chance to prepare a defense. And where they place them, you don't know. But certain, you know, cities like that are obvious. You have ramparts on the walls, places for archers. Um, and, you know, such the like. But if you can take them by surprise, all the better. So, but again, you know, like in our day, we have satellites that can look down on countries to see whether or not ships leave harbors, you know, you know, like frigates and destroyers, aircraft carriers, stuff like that. And this is stuff we used to do with the Soviets during the Cold War when we used to fly to U2 over um, the Soviet, then Soviet Union, you know, like Gary Francis Powers getting shot down back in 62, you know. And then we had the SR-71, that just made the Soviets so nervous. Hmm. Uh, it's the highest flying, fastest air spy plane we've ever uh, built, the SR-71. It still holds numerous records. Um, it crossed, uh, it went from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. in 71 minutes. Wow. That is a record that still stands. And its top speed is still classified. Even though the aircraft has been decommissioned. Mm. But again, this is all about gathering intel. You want to know the strengths, the positions, what you're up against but by the time you march on the city it may not be what they said at the time their description so so the okay even gets into second type of spying the second type of spying is not meant to prepare for a specific battle but it's spying done in a general way to learn about in you know, the entire land this is the one that Moshe employed. This is how Moshe instructed the spies to spy out the land. And doing it shows that the people want to see what the land is like to assess whether they have the strength to conquer it. This was the kind of spying for which the Jews decided to send the spies. It was a mission to encompass the entire land of Canaan on, as is explicit in the Torah's account of the events. This form of spying implied a lack of faith in Hashem and a desire to complain against him. It's 
since Hashem had promised this land to the Jewish people, sending spies to evaluate whether it could be conquered, showed they did not believe in Hashem's promise. Joshua, the half Torah stands in a juxtaposition because Joshua employed the first type of spying. He spied out each city individually. This left no room for complaining, for doubts, for lack of emunah. Because take Jericho, for example, when they marched around the city seven times. You don't see the word shofar there. You see the word yovel. Ah, same thing that came from the mountain. Yes, the giving of the Torah. And you shall declare freedom throughout all the land. On the 50th year, when everything returns to its uh, original owner, but ultimately everything returns to Hashem, which is uh, really Olam Haba. Because what, right. what does Psalm 24 say? The earth is yeah. Hashem's and everything in it. Right. I'll read the next paragraph in the rumination here. There are teachers that say that the Torah is abolished for Gentiles. That really just demonstrates a lack of emunah. <laughs> it's just this eternal thing. Just, just get rid of it. <laughs> We're Platonist here. Why, why, why put up with it? <laughs> yeah, the Torah is abolished for Gentiles. They use new language and phrases such as inviting, but not obligating. But the outcome is the same, separating Jew and Gentile. There is not a fine line between distinguishing family and ethnicity and separating believers. It is clear that those who promote more than one standard of righteousness are not merely distinguishing between Jew and Gentile. They are separating them. May that never be. If we have one king and if we are truly one people, we cannot have different rights and obligations under our one king's reign. There is only one Torah and it applies to all the citizens of Messiah's kingdom equally. It is as the Almighty always intended, but is repeatedly denied by men. One ordinance, hukah, the singular is hope, which mm -hmm. is decree, shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever, hukat olam, throughout your generations. Uh, Le doro take him, mm -hmm. is the word in Hebrew. As you are, so shall the stranger be before Hashem. One Torah, one custom, mishpat, shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. And that's in this week's Parsha, Numbers 15, 
15 and 16, same chapter, you find the, mitz, the mitzvah zitzit. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Sampolites is the Greek word. Of the same city, country, with the saints and members of the household of God, the mystery of Messiah, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Messiah by the gospel. Ephesians 2, 19, 3, 4, and 3, 6. If there is one king, how can there be two standards or two laws? There cannot be. If Jew and Gentile are made fellow citizens, it means that they have one king, they have one law, and they are one people. I mean, all of, you know, the, the underlying theme I'm seeing is, and especially reading from these two commentaries, is you have this narrative being purported. That all oh, Hashem can, you know, do it. You know, we can't take them down. They're, we're like grasshoppers in their sight, you know. But as the Orkaim says, they just didn't believe. And belief is, unbelief is sin. It's idolatry. Because it stands in opposition to his will. Because he had, again, he said the land is good, spacious. I have sworn it. To your ancestors, as he said to the, to the Avot, the patriarchs. So the disbelief would ultimately sever your your connection, so to speak, to the patriarchs. Because in other words, Hashem, who is the faithful one, that's why we say El Melech Neemun, which is Amen, that's the acronym. God, the faithful king. Amen. So in other words, no amen. <laughs> no avot. <laughs> you know, when when you have these doubts that we're looking at. You know what's interesting? Is the gematria for that word? Oh, come on. I, I know where you're going. Go ahead. It's 91. Uh-huh. Psalm 91. I thought you were going to do the two divine name thing. <laughs> but we'll take what is it? What does it say? He that dwells in the secret place. Right. Yosef Beseder. Betzel Elion. Are these, they're forgetting that. Hmm. They've moved where, away. Where, where, when they were sitting at Sinai, they were in the shadow of the Almighty at the giving of the Torah. So they moved out. Here's the thing. Hashem provided them the manna in the wilderness. He provided them with water. They did not have to do anything. But now they're being handed the responsibility of the land. Just like Adam was handed responsibility of the garden to tend it. Oh, 
man. And they were shirking that responsibility. So wait a minute. Adam shirked the responsibility of taking care of the garden? Yes. When he ate the fruit? Fruits, yes, stealing. Lashon Hara. And you know what's even more crazy is the wife is likened to the garden. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's like a double, like, bad. Because <laughs> he wasn't tending to his wife, and he also wasn't tending to the garden. You're compounding one error with another. And you just talked about sin being the entanglement. Yeah. And how there's this snowball effect. Mm-hmm. This is what is so crucial. I don't know if we talked about this per se, maybe in Strictly Torah, but part of the, and I mean, I I feel like we've talked about this on a rumination before, that in order for us to have the redemption, we in our own homes have to have the redemption. You know, and so I was thinking about if Adam and Hava would have tended their own garden, Ultimately, they would have been able to save the garden. Not that the garden got destroyed or anything, because it's still there. And by the way, that's where we go. Bezrat Hashem, that's the inheritance, the going to heaven kind of thing. That's one of the seven uh, heavens that we get to ascend into is the garden. Yeah. So, but just thinking about the fact of, you know, we were separated from the garden. Adam and Hava were separated from each other. You know, and it was all based off of being led away by the desires, being tempted by the evil report, uh, getting rid of your responsibilities. It's just, it's interesting. The thing is, Hashem doesn't want you to try and do that. Why? Because after the transgression, when the two were Adam and Hava were put out of the garden and the the angel was placed there, the Moloch. I believe it was the Seraph. Yeah. To guard the All way right. to the tree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the, the ark cover. Yes. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um yeah, a care of, and to guard the way to the tree of life, not the etz da'at. Lest they should eat of that and live forever. But now I'm going to bring from the Tanya regarding the spies, their entrapment of Moshe. Oh, you're just going to go straight to the Tanya. Okay. <laughs> Thanks this for warning from- us. <laughs> this is from Shar Ha Yakud, which is Yikud. one of the levels of the soul, by the way. Do you know that's the final part of the wedding in Jewish custom? Really? The nice. Hasuna, which is Khatan and Kala put together, which is actually how you say wedding. After the ceremony, they have what's called Yakud. Or they go, they're secluded away, and 
and you know nobody messes with them until they show back up (laughs) (laughs) oh nice yeah so and i always find it interesting that the word kala is the same word for bride Mm -hmm. and how they are wrapped together Mm. the braids they're intertwined and the Midrash about Hashem braiding Hava's hair when she was presented to Adam under the hoopah. Yeah. And that it's Abba bringing the seed or giving of the seed to Ima. Mm-hmm. The intertwining. From, from Yasod down to Malkut. To bring the vitality but this really i mean when i read this and then i start i was getting into this these two commentaries mm-hmm. this is really i mean oh man the 10 utterances are also designated utterances only in relation to the creatures for just as the emotion attributes of the human soul when they come to be revealed in action come clothed in the letters of thought, so do the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be he. For example, the attribute of kindness and mercy of the soul cannot become revealed in deed unless one thinks about and contemplates doing an act of charity and kindness in actuality. Action must follow thought you cannot have these fuzzy warm feelings and thoughts up here oh i believe in jesus you know that kind of thing no it's got to be followed by something it's fine to think it up here but as i always say about hebrew it's an action-oriented language it doesn't care about what you think or how you feel you just have you, you do That's what's really good about this. Um, For one cannot act without thought. And if one commands others to perform an act of kindness as the king, then the attribute of kindness and also the letters of thought clothe themselves in the letters of speech. And likewise, it is when one speaks words of kindness and compassion to his friend. So, Figuratively speaking, when the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be he, reach the level of the revelation of their action in the lower worlds, this revelation of kindness, yet because it also includes the attribute of might, therefore it, the light, was not spiritual as the actual supernal light and also became clothed in this world, which is finite and limited. For it is a journey of 500 years from the earth to the heaven and from east to west. In like manner, on the second day, the attribute of might, which is composed of the other attributes of his will, was revealed and he created with it the firmament through the utterance. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. 
this separation of the waters is the quality of simsum and restraints to conceal the upper spiritual waters from the lower waters. Through this separation from the upper waters, the lower waters became material and the attribute of kindness is included in it. Might, as the world is built with kindness, for all this, the division of the waters is in order that the dry land appear and man upon it to worship God. And similarly, each of the other attributes of the Holy One, blessed be he, was revealed on each subsequent day of creation. And it is this thought that Elijah expressed in Tikkunim, location cited, to show how the world is conducted with righteousness and justice. Righteousness is law, justice is mercy. All the revelation of the attributes is to show how the world <coughs> and the flow of this action <coughs> is called utterance. And combinations, combination of letters for there can be no action proceeding from his attributes without the intermediacy of combinations which are called letters. For instance, the creation of light from the attribute of kindness. There issued from it a flow of action and a power with which to produce and create the light. And the flow of this power and this life force is designated utterance. And combination of the letters, let there be light, yahi or. Although they are not like our letters of thought, God forbid, nevertheless, they are the phenomenon which indicates the bringing into existence of the light from, the, from nothing. Hence, the light was created from this flow of action and not other things which were also created from the attribute of kindness, such as water and the like, because there were clothed in them powers in or in other combinations which indicate the bringing into existence of water and the like. Thus it follows that all life forces and powers which issue from his holy attributes to the lower worlds to create them ex nihilo, to give them life and to sustain them are given the appellation holy letters, which are the flow of the life force from his will and his wisdom and his attributes to bring worlds into being and to give them life. And these words are two kinds, hidden words, worlds unrevealed, which come into existence and live and are sustained from concealed powers and life forces. As for example, the letters of thought in the human soul and the worlds revealed, which were created and live from the revelation of the hidden powers and life forces called letters of thought, which when they are in the state of revelation in order to give life to the revealed worlds are called utterances, the word of God and breath of his mouth. For example, the letters of speech in man, which reveal to his listeners what was concealed and hidden in his heart in truth, however, the supernal letters of speech are exceedingly higher than the level of level and essence of the wisdom and intellect of the created beings. For from the utterance and letters, 
let us make man in our image was created man, possessor of wisdom and intellect, or even by divine breath alone was he created, as it is written, and he breathed into his nostrils a soul of life. <clears throat> Onkelos renders it as, uh, and he became a speaking spirit. <clears throat> Hence, the divine speech and breath is the source of wisdom and intellect in the soul of Adam, which contains all the souls of the Zedekim who are superior to the ministering angels. The reason for the transcendence of the supernal letters over the soul is that the letters of his speech, may he be blessed, are effluences of powers and life forces from his attributes, may he be blessed, which are united with his essence and being in a perfect unity that is infinitely higher than the level of wisdom in created beings. And they are called by the name letters not in relation to the created beings but only relative to his attributes themselves now there are 22 kinds of affluences of life forces and powers differing one from another by which all the higher and lower worlds and all creatures in them were created for so it arose in his will and wisdom may he be blessed to create the world with exactly 22 kinds of different influences, neither less nor more. And these are the 22 letters which are fixed in the mouth and tongue, as we have learned in the Sefer Yetzirah, and their written shape indicates the form of the flow, as will be explained later. For the letters of speech and thought in the human soul are also outflows from the essence and being of the intellect and emotion attributes as is explained elsewhere. And you put that 22 with the 10 and you get 32, which is the 32 paths of wisdom known as the heart, the lev, which is the first and last letter of the Torah. So therefore, the Torah represents 32 paths of wisdom, which are actually... Kept, yeah, had the spies kept this in mind, they would not have spoken about the land. Because mm. <clears throat> we have to remember, um, <clears throat> with our thought and speech, as described here, we create worlds. He created the upper and lower worlds by separating the waters. So with the speech that we allowed to permeate our hearts, we actually created a world of brokenness. And we thought it was good for us because... It resulted in 40 more years being in the wilderness. However, every year, there would be people that would pass away from that generation between the ages of 20 and 60. Not the Levites and not the women, but anybody else who's between <laughs> 20 and 60, um, they would be passing away uh, every year, which you have to think about how sad that is because 
whether or not you're traveling because there was still a few more stops left to go uh, for the rest of the journey. You have basically loved ones scattered all across this wilderness. You know, you thought staying outside, Miriam staying outside the camp was bad. (laughs) You know, now you're burying people or people are burying themselves every year on the same day. And again, Rechav is stuck in Jericho. You know, so I mean, it's, it's just, you know, to really think about the effects of our speech and uh, what we allow ourselves to hear. You know, this is why it's really important. I was really searching for a good source to explain Chazal, as we were mentioning earlier in the beginning of our podcast, because if you don't have Chazal, you don't have anything. You know, uh, I I walk by a lot of conversations when I'm at work. <laughs> I, I literally just walk by because I'm like, uh, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. <laughs> because people are discussing the Bible and I'm like, this is great. People want to get into the word and it's awesome, you know, but they don't have any sources. And they always want to be right. Which when you come into the Jewish understanding which is a beautiful discussion a couple of uh, gentlemen and I got to have at our synagogue during Oneg last week, actually, um, for Shabbat, that when you think about how we used to study in the church, like it was like, we got to get to the right answer. It's black and white. This is the way it is. Nothing else. But when you come to Judaism, it's 70 faces of Torah. 600,000 interpretations if you want to go Arizal with (laughs) so I mean you know and um, it was it was really cool because Rabbi uh, Trugman Shlita earlier this week for the the Parsha class he was talking about this he just kept bringing down insight after insight Moshe made a mistake Moshe was with the Shekinah and was completely unified with whatever Hashem wanted to do. You know, uh, the spies were like, yeah, we're good. We're going to do this. We're going to be upright and outstanding before Hashem. You know, we're righteous men. We're the cream of the crop going into the land. We're not Nasim or anything, but, you know, we're tribes. Uh, We're esteemed men. You know, we're good. We're not just Joe Schmoes kind of thing. And then it's like, you know what? Nah, we can't do this. You know, we don't want to, you know, and it was like all these different facets of everything. And I was mentioning to him, I said, you know, this really speaks to the complexity of the human, you know, the human mind and our the way we process things throughout life, because even in our own minds, as we as we're doing something. How many different ways we can go in a situation. You know, but anyway, so just back to the Hazal, I was just thinking you know, we, we have to stand on their shoulders as we study. You know, like, this is why it's beautiful. You have the Ramban, you have Or HaChaim, you have Rashi, you have the Tanya, you know, and, and we're bringing these things down because without it, 
we would think of things in our own mind that may or may not be legitimate. And what was your blessing, your prayer that you added to our blessing before study? You know, may nothing impure, may I not come to an impure word? May not, may I not regard something that is the horror that it is to me, to me, as something that is to me that it is to horror. And may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and I, or my colleagues stumble in a matter of Torah and I rejoice over them. Yep. Or that they stumble in a matter of Torah or I stumble and they not rejoice. We don't get to take pleasure in the defeat of our enemies. Man. So, you know, all these different things. So now when it comes to the 17th of Tammuz, the three weeks of mourning and Tisha B'Av, you know, we have this horrible tragedies that have taken place throughout the centuries. It started in the wilderness. I was just glancing at Lakute Torah that was saying that the spies were on the level of Makshava, of what, what world is this? Olam. They were on a lofty spiritual level, higher than Eretz Yisrael itself, because Makshava is thought, which rearranges to Besimka, which is in joy. And then Eretz Yisrael is on the level of Olam Hadibur, the world of speech, associated with the spiritual level of Malkut. Of Azilut. So the spies were on a higher level than the land. So when you think about, pun intended, our thoughts, you know, in the speech, like the spies saw being on a level of thought and going into speech as a descent. But as you just mentioned, according to the Tanya, it it's like it's that level of okay, we're gonna actually we're gonna actualize this energy now. Like you can create worlds. Just imagine what would have happened if the spies came back with a good report, remained on their level, and brought everybody into the land. Like it could have been a completely different world. And Rabbi Raskin of Kabad Shlita, he brought this down in his parsha Nemanic. For this week because there's 119 verses in this Torah portion Psalm 119 what is it all about it's all about the letters it extols the virtues of Torah living yep <clears throat> so that's what I'm saying but that's what I'm saying that <laughs> the world that could have been on this high and lofty level of thought when it was intertwined with speech because that's what Hashem did to create the universe. What I read from <clears throat> Shalar Harikud is that all things are in unity with him. The problem is that since Saddam HaRishon, he became separated from the totality of Hashem. He replaced 
the ore, he was clothed in the supernal light, Adam Kadmon. But unfortunately, he descended from the divine knowledge to the knowledge of good and evil, and now he's clothed with this. Ayin Bav Resh. And now he, he has to work the land by the sweat of his brow. Your desire shall be to your wife. Did you just say Adam was clothed in Adam Kadmo? Yeah, the supernal light. So you realize that means clothed in Mashiach, right? Yes. <laughs> Mashiach is a Dom Kadmon. <laughs> okay. Because what does Shaul say? He, the first Adam brought death into the creation. <laughs> Mashiach brings life. He brings tikkun. He brings rectification. Uh, yeah, so reclothing us in the light, yes. You oh. are the light of the world. Wow, a city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor does one take a lamp and put it under a bushel, but puts it where everyone can see it. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works. Uh, there's Tove again. And the good. You know, that was the other thing I the was The land is good. It's spacious. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Yeah, the good. And also, is, we need to be okay. reminded that, that the eyes of Hashem are upon the land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What makes Eretz Yisrael special is because of that. So the whole clothed and light, the light of the world, the good deeds, being clothed in righteousness. So Galatians 3, so the letter to Galatia, starting at verse 26, you are all sons of God through Emuna. In it says in Mashiach, right? But let's substitute it with what we just mentioned, Adam Kadmon, the light, that which is good. So when you have Emuna in the light of Hashem, which means you engage in it, you do it. Right? That righteousness. And then you become a son. And it says 27, verse 27. For all of you were immersed into Mashiach and have clothed yourselves in Mashiach. So the immersion that we go through is to re-immerse ourselves back into that light. This skin gets covered with the waters of Torah because that's what the mikvah is, which is really light. 
You know, the Torah is likened to water. The Torah is likened to fire. The Torah is likened to light. It's likened to spirit. You know, the spirit, the water, you know, and all the witnesses. You know, I'm thinking about First John. He talks about the, the different witnesses, which I have to really oh, kind of yeah. rebrush. Yeah. And so we have all this going on. So I, I just love this uh, this connection here. And verse 28, so there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Mashiach. And you think about that light, man. That's Echad. 13. That was 13 times 2. 26. The name of Hashem. The 72 name. The, the 72 letters of the name or 72 names of Hashem. Wow. I mean, Yochanan 1 1. First, uh, Yochanan, the word which gives life, he existed from the beginning. He's repeating the words of his Basora here. Right. We have heard him. That that's Sinai. That's the voice that spoke. We have seen him with our eyes. We have contemplated him, and we have touched him with our hands. The life appeared, and we have seen it. We are testifying to it and announcing it to you, eternal life. He was with the father, Adam Kadmon. <laughs> and he appeared to us. We, what we have seen and heard, we are proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Yeshua the Mashiach. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, then um, starting at 2, verse 3, the way we can be sure we know him, you know, the spies couldn't say this because they were standing in contradiction. <laughs> With this narrative that the Ramban and the Orkayim are bringing here. And that how Moshe got trapped in it, entangled. Sin which so easily entangles. Or besets us or uh, becomes a stumbling block. Hebrew it's a camp. weight. It's a weight. Yeah. Down. Which is interesting because you said Adam was created in a place of thorns. Entanglement. Oh yeah, what well, was put on Yeshua's head. Crown, Crown of thorns. thorns. The consequences of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of Hashem is eternal life. Yep. 
So I found the verse. It's First uh, Yochanan chapter five, again verse five. So five five. <laughs> Who then overcomes the world? Who overcomes the sin of the spies? <laughs> Only he who believes that Yeshua is Ben Ha Elohim. Adam Kadbon much? Says this is the one who came by water and blood. Yeshua. Hamashiach, not by water alone, but by water and blood. You know, this is uh, Pesach. This is the rock that was struck, you know, because it says blood and water came from the rock. Blood and water flowed out of the temple during Pesach when they were cleaning up from all the lambs being slaughtered. Mashiach, when his body was on the stake, there was blood and water. <laughs> And at childbirth, there's blood and water everywhere. So then you have the fact that it's, oh, and the sprinkling of the blood for the Lashon Hara, the two birds that are, the one bird that's slaughtered over the spring of water, sprinkled on the, and then you have the uh, the red heifer with the ashes. There's the blood and water in that. Now team. I'm thinking Yochanan 3, the master's conversation with Nick Dimon Ben-Gurion. Yeah, born again. How can, a, how can a man go into his mother's womb and be born again? You're born from the womb of Torah. Yeah. And, and what and did Hashem tell Moshe in Exodus 19? He told the people to wash their clothes, and themselves. For okay. in three days, I will come down. I will descend on the mount. So the Pritzker Zohar was talking about that. The level that we purified ourselves to was like the level of Adam in the garden. Like we went to this super supernal level through these three days of purification process. Like, it's, it's insane. But uh, going on here, it says, it says, and it is the spirit who testifies to this, which, by the way, is the Torah. So the Torah testifies that Yeshua came through the blood and water, which, again, you think about all those offerings that we just mentioned, which are, by the way, one or they're all facets of one single diamond, the ultimate offering of the Akeda, which is the only begotten son of the father that was offered up, speaking of Yitzhak. And you just mentioned action, right? So Zohar last week was saying the reason why we have to take action in this world is because it directly affects things in the higher worlds. So the Akeda of Yitzhak activated the Akeda of Mashiach which is the lamb that was slain before the foundations right so here's our testimony of the Torah saying this and it says for there are three that testify the spirit the water 
and the blood. And these three are in agreement. The Torah, the water, and the blood. So the immersion that we go into pulls us into the Torah. The blood of the circumcision, which is why, you know, if you haven't been circumcised uh, according to Jewish custom, when you were a child, um, you are actually, you do the Hatafat Dambrit, you know, when you come into covenant, which is a whole other process about bringing about a drop of blood. So you have the mikvah, you have the, the sacrifice, and then you have the whole aspect of getting away from idolatry, which uh, thinking of the three steps of conversion uh, is the immersion, the circumcision, and the, the Corbin, the offering that you bring, which when we get to third temple, all of our converts will bring their uh, retroactive Corbin when we get the temple. So I have a lot of people bringing the, the conversion <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> but it's interesting that Yokanan talks about this, basically, you know, saying to overcome the world, you have to convert. You have to become a part of this oneness. You have to get reclothed in that light of a dumb Kadmon. Yeah, I was looking at my emails like uh, from uh, Pincus Winston. On this oh, part. I love that guy. Okay, so he brings. He be well. It's quite complicated from the Torah. It seems as if the spies have been great men who failed at a mission they could have successfully completed. They chose to reject Eretz Yisrael, which is why they were punished for it teaching the rest of us the importance of not speaking badly about God's land, no matter how much you don't like it. Kabbalah paints a different picture, just like souls connect because of what they have in common and repel that which is different from them. They also connect or repel places of residence. According to the Arizal, the level of the souls of the Dor Hamidbar that rejected the land originated from a different source than that which gave rise the Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael and the Dor Hamidbar was a mismatch. What about Yehoshua and Caleb, who did succeed in their mission? That too, the Ari explains, had to do with the uniqueness of their souls, which were more in line with the reality of Eretz Yisrael, even before they left to spy the land. Yehoshua and Caleb were at a distinct spiritual advantage over their 10 colleagues. So why were the latter punished? Have you ever noticed people tend to gravitate towards some mitzvahs more than others? It's not the same for each person. Some people like mitzvahs that others have a difficult time with and vice versa. And the fact that we chose more likable mitzvahs over others doesn't bother us because we're still doing a mitzvah. <clears throat> if we think about it, such an approach flies in the face of the well-known statement, according to the effort is the reward per Kiyavot 521. 
every misfit requires some effort, but it is the ones that fail to inspire us that require the most effort since we have to inspire ourselves to do them. <clears throat> what a tycoon it is when we do. It's simple. God made all the creation for man to make free will choices. I was bringing this out earlier. Choosing between chocolate or vanilla ice cream might be super meaningful to some people, but not to heaven. Oh, my God. Not to heaven, not for the sake of heaven. No, no, no. <laughs> it's the moral choices that count to God. And the greater the moral stakes, the more they count to God. Anyone can do a good deed when it costs them nothing. But who will do one when the personal cost is high? From this perspective, it was the 10 spies that rejected the land who had the potential to be the greatest heroes. Yehoshua and Caleb were the heroes in the end, but only because their co-spies had failed. Had the 10 spies battled their Yetzirahs and accepted the land, they would have been the greater heroes because of what they would have had to fight against to make their decisions. This reminds me of what happens when they ask people to learn Mishnayos in the merit of someone who has recently passed away. The list goes up, and like most people, I look to learn a Masekis that talks to me. Since I usually see the list after others have already signed up, my choice is usually narrowed down to those that do not talk to me. <clears throat> after getting over my initial disappointment, I decide to use the situation as an opportunity they choose the one that least talks to me. This feels surprisingly good because it really makes me feel as if I'm learning for the sake of someone else, the whole point. If only the spies had known what was at stake, if only they had anticipated God's response to their kvetching, what ran through their minds when they suffered a horrible death in response, before God responded that they wanted to stone Yehoshua and Caleb, once they saw God's reaction to their choice, they must have regretted not listening to the two of them. I have wondered the same thing about the Jews taken away in the Holocaust. History, book, history books report that uh, speakers went around from shul to shul in Europe in the 1930s warning Jews to leave before Hitler... Hitler's Yetzirah came for them. Some not only argued to the contrary, they literally threw the speakers out of the shul and probably told them to never come back and make such ridiculous threats ever again. Did these people have a chance while being rounded up to wish they had listened instead of instead to the warnings? Oh, it is reported by Art Scroll in their biography about the Hofetz Kain that he used to mysteriously bang his table at Seudas uh, Shlishis and cry out, millions of Jews are going to die and no one is doing anything about it. Why? What? How? These were questions that people must have had at the time that seemingly went unanswered until 1942. The Hofetz Kaim had already moved on to the next world by 1933, 
the very year Adolf Hitler remarkably became chancellor of Germany. Did people think that he was the reason for the great sage's deep concern? It doesn't seem like it because even when offered a chance to leave Germany between 1933 and 1939, 100,000 chose to remain only to later die in the death camps. The horror of Kristallnacht happened in 1938. Did anyone think it was the beginning of the Holocaust? Only very few, but by 1945, no one had any question that it was. Those who survived may have wished their foresight had been as good as their hindsight. As the Talmud says, who is the wise man? The person who sees what is being born. Mm -hmm. Talmud uh, 32a. Yeah. You got to see the result of your choice. <clears throat> you got to have the foresight. You got to look ahead. You know, um, a captain of a ship is responsible for his the ship and the crew. The captain must anticipate what consequences will come about of his decisions. He has to look forward. Everyone always uh, everyone else always looks back. And I always say, you cannot question a captain because you're not sitting in that seat. You do not know what it's like to make those kinds of decisions where you are potentially sending someone to their death to save everyone else. It's a lot of pressure. It's a burden that every captain carries, command decisions. It's something my father taught me, and I've never forgotten it. Rukashim. I've had to make those kinds of kinds of decisions as a, a a bus operator where I'm dealing with kids who just simply won't listen. It forces me to make an example of one of them. Mm. Once once you do that, they, they'll fall in line. Um it reminds me of an incident a few years back when I was driving um, Sunday school for this uh, this congregation that me and my wife used to go to. Um, she wasn't feeling well that day, and so what I would what I did was I dropped them off, and I would come back because I wanted to keep an eye on her. You know, because you know diabetes brings a lot of other ailments with it. You know. So I wanted to make sure I'm there in case something happens and I can get medical care in an emergency if I need be, you know. But so it came time for me to leave to go back to the congregation to take them to, you know, to take everyone home. And I was a little late, you know, um, but better late than never than <laughs> trying to get there early and get into an accident. Because it's my CDL. I do not risk it for anyone else. That is my decision to make, and they have to live with it. You don't get to question that decision. That's mine to make. You know, but I showed up, and the pastor obviously was not happy. And what he did was the people were waiting outside the board of bus, and I was ready to take them on. But he comes on and starts to 
get upset with me in front of all these congregants who are standing in eye shot, earshot almost. Mm-hmm. And he's doing what the spies did. And he's directly challenging my authority as a driver, which I did not take kindly to. I do not allow anyone to do that. You're basically humiliating me in front of these people. So how can I be in, in authority? And I confronted him later on about that. I called him back and said, look, man, what you did was totally wrong. But he, he was just making up all kinds of excuses, you know. I finally had to decide, okay, say, look, man, if you're going to behave that way, I don't want to be a part of your ministry. Mm. Excuses, huh? Yeah. I, I, had to, I explained to him, said, look, my wife is my first responsibility than everyone else. But he was too wrapped up in, well, you know, you're in ministry now, Rick. You know, you got to do it our way. And I said, no, I don't have to. I have other obligations. You are not the only only one. Hmm. You know, and he said, oh, Rick, you don't want to submit. And I thought to myself, oh, okay, so I don't want to submit to you. I didn't verb I didn't verbalize that. I kept that to myself. Because I knew where he was going with it, you know, and that's yeah. the that's the thing, you know, is we have to be careful. Because like like the phrase in the Torah, you know, shalak the anashim. He had a prestigious position. He had a certain amount of pride, earthly pride. Oh, you know, look at me. You know, look at all this I've achieved. You know. All this is because of me. No, it's none of that's because of none of this is because of us. It's Hashem that's doing the work. That's what Shaul says in Ephesians. You are his workmanship, created for good works. Yeah. Again, there's the word good, and it's not predicated off of what we think is good. Exactly. Scripture, yeah, just like how scripture <laughs> defines love. Yeah, it defines what is good. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, so I just read something real quick because I was trying to look for my Zohar reference about basically the 10 spies when they decided to say you know what we're gonna have an evil report it was directly tied to the fruit and there was something about the grape and all this kind of stuff but as i was going to that it says rabbi shimon the blessed holy one forgives everything except slika rabbi shimon said not rabbi shimon the blessed holy one slika even though he is a blessed he is our one of our chazal very very highly esteemed for sure um but he said this is his words the blessed holy one forgives everything except for the evil tongue lashon hara for it is written by our tongue we will prevail our lips are with us 
who is master over us, telling 12.5. Go back a, a section here. If Israel had entered the land under the stigma of the evil tongue, the world would not have endured for a moment. We talked about the giving of the Torah. If we didn't accept the Torah, the world would not have endured for a moment. Yep. So because of the evil speech, we were not allowed to go into the land because we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were not allowed to eat from the tree of life and stay in the garden. Go. That is, see, mostly speech impediment during the Passover was speech concealed. His speech impediment was rectified at the giving of the Torah. Pesach is speech rectified. Nice. Nice. Now, <laughs> oh boy, buckle up, man, because I got the, the Faye Tang up on this Parsha. Oh, I was wondering when we were going to get to him. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to like, you're going to say, that is ridiculous. Stop it. You know? <laughs> when I read this, you know. <laughs> okay, I got, I got my buttons ready. That's ridiculous. Stop it. Get some help. Get What's ready for a high G burn, man, because this one is going to grab you. I, I mean, I was just like, man. Okay. Eretz Yisrael is the secret of knowledge of Mashiach, Da'at Mashiach. The gematria of both phrases is 832. Of the first generation in the wilderness, only Yehoshua and Caleb entered the land of Israel. Their secret is the knowledge of Mashiach, which is the death of Mashiach, Mot Mashiach. The gematria is 804 which is exactly the sum of their names in Gematria, which is Caleb ben Yefuna, 249, Yehoshua ben Nun, 555, 804. Joshua was assisted by Moses with a new name, Numbers 13, 16. And Caleb was assisted with prayers at Hebron. They were each assisted with an external power. Adding the gematria of power, koach, which is 28, to their names, 28 plus 804 equals 832, the gematria for Eretz Yisrael. Emot HaMashiach? Right? Emot uh, Mashiach is 804. Okay. Which is the two? Uh, if you take the if you take the Hebrew word koach, which has a gematria of twenty eight, add it to eight hundred and four. You have the power of the death <laughs> of the Mashiach. You have eight hundred and thirty two. Eretz Yisrael. Man. And dot and dot Mashiach. Okay, so eight hundred and thirty two is eight plus three plus two what does that equal 13. 
Nice. One God, one faith. Nice. One, one Torah, Torah, one people. Yep. That's what the death of Mashiach is all about. <laughs> what does he say about seed? What, is, what does Yeshua say about seed? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot sprout and bring forth life. Right. Okay, so the gematria of the two external powers, Moshe, 345, Evron, 266, is 611, the gematria for Torah. Wow. Land of Israel. Land of Israel to the space dimension is Shabbat to the time dimension. Okay, stop. Break, break that down again. So Shabbat is time. Israel is space. <clears throat> what Israel is to the space dimension, Shabbat is to the dimension of time. Because Shabbat is like this, basically a portal to eternity. It's like a, a a space outside of time, but it's inside of time. And then Israel's like a space that's kind of like infinite, but it's really contracted. I mean, this is why we see all the different things happening, mountains moving and the, the crazy fertility of the land when the right people are in it, things like that. Okay. Yeah, Yom Shekalo Shabbat, a time that is all Shabbat. Yeah. All right, Brukashem. <laughs> okay, the third dimension is soul, which is Torah manifested in Mashiach, who will ultimately reveal the light of the world to come. The five concepts in Hebrews as follows Eretz Yisrael 832, Shabbat 702, Torah 611, Mashiach 358. Light of the world to come, or Olam Haba, 361, totals 2,864. To explain, Torah deals with actions corresponding to nefesh of the soul. Mashiach teaches on how to fulfill Torah corresponding to the ruach of the soul. The ultimate revelation of Torah and Mashiach is the light of the world to come, Revelation 21:23 corresponding to the neshama of the soul, basking in the pleasure of Shabbat in the land of Israel. The five concepts have eight words, and the average number of the eight words is 2,864 divided by eight is 358, the gematria from Mashiach. This comes to teach us that the five concepts are centered about Mashiach. The inheritance at the simplest level is the land of Israel, as it is written by Omer, Adonai, Elohim, uh, Bama, Edaki, uh, And he said, O Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? I will inherit Erashena as a gematria of 566 which is the gematria of Mashiach ben Yosef. 
i.e. Mashiach at his first coming known as Yeshua, the gematria is 386, which is exactly the gematria of Ba'aretz Nakala. You said 386? Yeah. Which is also the gematria of Yeshua. It's also the gematria of Ba'aretz Nakala in the land of inheritance. This is why it says in Hebrews, because of your lack of faith, you did not enter my land of rest. Yeah. And what are we going through here in these commentaries? Wow. The gematria of Mot Yeshua is 832. Also the gematria of land of Israel. Isaac never set foot outside the land of Israel. Oh. For he is the prototype of the offering of God. His offering in Hebrew, Korbano, the Gematria is 358. Mm. Same as Mashiach. And what does the rite of Hebrew say? He offered himself up without defect, without spot, and what and once and for all, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Similarly, Yeshua never set foot outside the land of Israel, for he fulfills the prototype of the offering of God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the gematria of Isaac and his offering is exactly the gematria of, of Mashiach ben Yosef. 566 who came as the perfect offering of God Yitzhak 208 Corbano 358 566 it is now clear that the rejection of the land of Israel by the ten spies is the prototype of the future rejection of Mashiach at his first coming known as Mashiach ben Yosef and Yosef is the husband of Miriam <sighs> That's <Because> ridiculous. <laughs> I was telling my wife that last night. He's going to like. <laughs> the we, just, we just talked about the 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 juxtaposition of Miriam with the spies. Exactly, Rashi's comment. You know, the gematria of the triad is exactly that of the land of Israel. Yosef one fifty six, Miriam two ninety. Yeshua 386, 832. Yehoshua and Caleb, 832 equals 26 times 32. Really? Which is the gematria of Lev. Yeah. Multiplied by the gematria of the name. Mm-hmm i.e. the heart of Hashem is Eretz Yisrael. They're breaking Hashem's heart when they speak against the land. It grieves the heart of the king of the universe. It talks about grieving the Ruach HaKodesh in the apostolic writings. Yeah, do not grieve the spirit of God by which you have been sealed until the day of redemption. 
that happens when we break Hashem's heart. When we yeah. don't yearn for the land. You know, there was a, again, Rabbi Trugman, he brought that up this week about, you know, uh, number one, may we not speak bad of Israel, you know, like not just the land, but the people, because sometimes we, we judge so quickly about, you know, our, our past, you know, that, oh, you know, people, uh, like for instance, you know, like why were we crying in the wilderness and not trusting a shell? For us having the knowledge of Yeshua, we have the Talmudim. You know, it's just like, how come they were freaking out when he was in the boat? Like, obviously, Yeshua wasn't concerned. He was asleep, you know, and, and things like that. We go through these situations. And he was saying, you know, if you want to get into that seat, which I don't recommend. Number one, why are not all the Jews back yet to the land? You know, what keeps us from going to the land? Obviously, for us as believers in Yeshua, that's a major point <laughs> until that changes. But even so, you know, you got your finances, you got your work, you got your communities and things like that, because what kind of support is there in the land for that? You know, for being shul, to be in uh your, your living quarters and things like that. So you, you do have to take into consideration where you're going to live, how you're going to put food on a table. You know, you can't just like run into the land and be like, all right, cool, I'm here. Because that would be called not being responsible. <laughs> so, you know, but things like that. And it's just like, you know, uh, when you talk about, you, you know, what you're bringing down, it's just, it makes me think of those things where, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's just we we should have that yearning, you know. We should want it, and that plays with our or that plays in tandem with our bitachon and Hashem, our trust, because there's going to come a time where that door will open. But again, if we're not yearning for it now, when that door opens, we don't want to be like the the virgins who had the lamps and did not have any oil <laughs> so what you're talking about right now is ridiculous because that's the oil that should be in the lamps you're supplying fresh oil right now so keep it going i mean look at what's going on in israel right now politically it's a mess right now mm -hmm. like it is here and the thing about that is, and it's a really good point that you bring up, is that Israel is marrying itself politically after a lot of the nations. You know, and then what did the Shmuel HaNavi say to uh, the tribes of Israel when they were clamoring for a king? Hmm. We are not like other nations, for Hashem is both our God and our King. That's a ridiculous connection. Oh my goodness. That was nice, bro. And what is and what is part of the Avinu prayer? Our Father, our King, we have no king but you. Mm-hmm. 
see th this is the mentality we have we need to have the consciousness that we need to have of mashiach you know this is timely that you say this because we're a few weeks away from the three weeks of mourning and one of the things that you know uh at least in magin yashenu that we've been exposed to is understanding this is time for tikkun like yes the morning observances and things like that but we need to mourn from a place of of this what you're talking about hashem we have no king but you you know like this this ridiculous amount of amuna and bitakon that we need to have in hashem to do the things that the spies said hashem couldn't do Hashem, they said Hashem couldn't defeat these giants. They're practically accusing him of lying. Yeah. Like, so these three weeks when they come up, we need to, like, go so insane into what we're talking about right now. Like, this is just so timely to help us soak this in. We got time to soak this in to say, when these three weeks happen, when they get here, instead of letting the tragedy and the the uh, the woe in the morning uh, consume our consciousness. Our consciousness needs to be consumed with the opposite of what the spies said. It needs to be consumed with the opposite of the mess that is in the world today. Yeah, it's it's this false narrative, and that's what emerges from the, you know, when I was studying these two commentaries, you know, and what I've been what I shared with Ray yesterday, what I'm sharing with you. And I'm going to be sharing this tomorrow night. I mean, because you also have asked me to bring the drosh. So, and this is what has come up. Because, I mean, in this parsha, it's so easy to get with the spies. But I wanted to bring about another an aspect, perhaps that's not really touched on that often. is what's our attitude? What's our kavana? You know, your intention. And that's the heads up I gave to everyone in the Strictly Torah group. This is what you can expect from me, Shabbat Eve. The intention of Moshe and the spies. Well, chazak uvaruk to you, my friend. I look forward to that. You know, and this is what I'm going to be bringing. Is what I'm sharing with you here. Powerful. Um, so, continuing with this uh, blog here from Dafei Tang, is Joshua symbolizes Mashiach at his first coming, known as Mashiach ben Yosef, and Caleb symbolizes Mashiach at his second coming, known as Mashiach ben David. The sum of the higher for Sephiro in Gematria is exactly the same as land of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, Keter, 620, Hokma, 73, Bina, 67, Hased, 72, 832. Joshua, the son of or descendant of Yosef, and Caleb is the son of Judah. Their gematria is 739. Yehoshua ben Yosef, 599. 
Pei Caleb Ben Yehuda, 140, 739. 739 is exactly the sum of the lower four sephirot as follows. Netzach, 148. Hod, 15. Yesod, 80. Malkut, 496. 739. And note that the gematria for Hod is the number of steps leading up to the Beit Hamikdash. And the number of Share Maha'alot. Wow. Nice. This Which is Aharon. Yep. This comes to teach us that the entry of Yehoshua and Caleb into the land of Israel symbolizes the mating of the higher four Sephiroth, 832, with the lower four Sephiroth, 739, the difference is 832 minus 739 equals 93, which is the gematria of Nakala inheritance. Mm. The gematria of Yehoshua and Caleb, 739 plus inheritance, 93, is therefore the gematria of Eretz Israel. For the land of Israel is the quintessential inheritance of promise. The remaining two Sephirot are Gevura and Tiferet. Gevura 216, Tiferet is 1,081, total 1,297. 1,297 is the 212th prime number, and 212 is the gematria of inheritance and rest. Nakala ha Dakala 98, Amenuka 114, 212. So the inheritance of our rest. And what does the writer of Hebrews say? Let not the sin of unbelief enter That's into it. your hearts that you should not enter into his rest. Psalm 95. Hebrews 3 and 4 is a commentary on Psalm 95. Mm hmm Okay. This is brought to me by another one of my coworkers this week. And I think it's very fitting. I'd be interested to see what you think about this. So we're talking about unbelief, right? We're talking about the spies, about the land, breaking Hashem's heart, rejecting the Mashiach. You know, right? Check this out. So this is Acts chapter 18. After these things, Shaul left Athens and went to Corinth. So leave Greece, go to Corinth, uh, which I think on the map of where Corinth is, it's like in the same region anyway. <clears throat> but, Asia Minor. Okay. So it says there he found a Jewish man named Aquila or Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy. So coming from Rome with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jewish people to leave Rome. There was an expulsion from Rome. Uh, okay. All right. 
So Shaul went to see them because, you know, Shaul is also a native citizen of Rome. Yep. So it says, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and began working for, by trade, they were tent makers, which there was an argument that there could be a, this could be the tallit making because the tallit is called a tent or the sukkah, you know, things like that. But um, going on, it says, and because he was, a, or I think I already read that, verse four. And he was debating every Shabbat in the synagogue, which when I saw the word debating, I'm like, that's kind of aggressive. Like, you're not going to win anything when you debate people, by the way. You know, so like that, that I had problems with. But anyway, it says he was in the Shabbat in the synagogue every Shabbat trying to persuade both Jewish and Greek people. So he's still in Greece and trying to get this thing going. So it what says, uh, Bible are you reading from? This is the uh, Tree of Life. Oh, okay. Uh, the CJB uses in verse 4, it says, Shaul also began carrying on a discussion or discussion okay. every Shabbat in the synagogue where he tried to convince both Jews and Greeks. Um, I think of the Hebrew word makloket. Okay, that's what I was going to say. I, I was thinking, what if it's that that terminology for what it's used for the, the house of study? Yeah. Where it says that they're like, they're sparring with one another. Like the uh, the father and the son or the rabbi and the student become like skilled warriors to one another. Uh, Tractate Kiddushin brings this down too. Um, but yeah, it says basically the house of the study is like a war zone. <laughs> You know, like this is the Thunderdome, the original Thunderdome. Oh, Jesus, going Mad Max on me now. Because <laughs> it's like, no, oh, this opinion, is that opinion. <laughs> well, this is the question. Here's the statement. You know, anyway. Uh, so anyway, he was doing that in shul. And then it says in verse five, now when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Shaul became occupied with the message urgently testifying that the Jewish people or to the Jewish people that Yeshua is the Mashiach. But they, but when they resisted and reviled him. Okay. So here's our key verse, 18, six acts, 18, six, when they resisted and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from now on. I will go to the Goyim. So you have this picture here of the the rejection of the land, you know, the thing well, um, is bringing down. Yeah, basically what you're talking about. So anyway, I was just wondering what your thoughts were. Um, the CJB reads on that verse. However, when they set themselves against him and began hurling insults, the Sean Haram. He, he shook out him. his clothes and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. For my part, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Goyim. And I think of the words of the master when he sent out the 12. Be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Whatever house welcomes you, let your peace fall upon it. But whatever house does not welcome you, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. 
And what does Perky Avot say regarding the words of the sages? Drink their words like water and cover yourself in the dust of their, in their dust. Right. Yeah. Um, it says to range and battle against is the word for the opposition that they did. So I get the impression in verse 7 where it says, so he left them and went into the home of a God-fearer named Titus Justus. That's a Roman name. It's Latin. Whose house was right next door to the synagogue. Boy, he's got a nice cozy roof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Crispus, the president of the synagogue, came to trust in the Lord along with his whole household. Also, many of the Corinthians who heard trusted and were immersed. Which you know that that's the terminology for his wife. Yeah. You and your household will be saved, you and your wife. You know and what? And then I, what does the wife do? She disseminates it out to the rest of the household. Yeah. This is a garish because go back to Acts 10 regarding um, Cornelius. Yes. You have similar wording in, in that chapter. You know, and you would think being the president of a synagogue, you know, like what that entails. That's that's a lot of responsibility, man. You're the, I mean, I'll use uh, Yitzhak Kaduri as an example, who is possibly one of the greatest modern day Kabbalists that ever lived that everyone came to him for a blessing. Wow. Because they, they knew how elevated his neshama was. And that, yeah, he, he could bring a lot of tikkun, man. Um, But yeah, that's, um, yeah, that, I mean, that looks like a goy that's in charge of a, of a shul, you know? Yeah. And a Roman in particular. And what was it in Matthew 21 about it'll be taken from you and given to those who are producers of the fruit? Matthew 21, I think it was 41 or something like that. Yeah, here we go. Let me go back a little bit. Um, parable of the vineyard. Yes. Matthew 21, uh, 33. Listen to another parable. There was a master of a household who planted a vineyard. He put a hedge around it. A hedge of protection. <laughs> Doug <laughs> dug a wine press in it and built a tower. This is a pretty lofty thing. Zohar, by the way, this week goes into the Tower of Salvation. So 
There's that. Migdo Yeshuot Malko Sechesed Lim Shiko, as we say in the Birkaham zone. Um, then he leased it to some tenant farmers and went on a journey. So here's the whole thing about the stewarding that we have, right? So then Matthew 21, next verse, verse 34. Now when the fruit season drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Interesting, we went into the land to collect fruit this week. <laughs> you know, right? So yeah. then it says, verse 35, but grabbing his servants, the tenants beat up one, killed another, and stoned still another. Again, the master sent other servants, even more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So by grabbing him, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Was not Mashiach Yeshua thrown out? You know, like he's not a part of us kind of thing. That's Mashiach ben Yosef. The church tends to use this to support yeah. the replacement theology. Right, but it's totally in it's Jewish codification yeah. it's, it's that Mashiach. Yeah. And then it says, uh, he will bring those miserable men to a miserable end, they said to him, and will lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the fruits in their seasons. Yeshua said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And he's about to quote Tehillim. <laughs> the stone which the builders rejected, this has become the chief cornerstone, which, by the way, is the verse that's used to explain Abraham at the Tower of Babel. When he counseled them against building that tower, and so it says they rejected his message. So he was the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. That's Abraham. <laughs> then it said, this came from Hashem and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. You know, and so I thought about that in the context of the land. I thought about that in the context of the rejection of the message that Shaul was bringing, you know, and, and things like that. And, and you talked about earlier, the nations are beginning to say, yes, this is why we don't have a temple yet. And this is why Yeshua said, go to the nations because the, the vineyard is being temporarily, temporarily leased, which means until the people who have this temporary lease understand their responsibility, because yes, Yeshua is totally captive by the church, you know, like they're proclaiming the right Mashiach and things like that, but they're doing it without all the sources. And this is the, the danger again, like we mentioned before, not having Chazal. If you don't have Chazal, you have nothing. So with the vineyard being like basically we have open season right now it's it's for the whole entire world to have the opportunity to grab a hold of the torah 
you know, grab a hold of the poles of the ark, as it says, the supporters of it will be blessed, right? So that's really what should be happening so that we can produce the fruits that Hashem is looking for. You know, the fruits of the spirit, you know, you shall bear fruit and things like that. So anyway, um, those are a couple of things with the Dafei Tang and having the uh, understanding of not lacking a Muna. Yeah, I was just thinking as I was listening to you read it that the the church could potentially be seen as uh, the wicked tenants misappropriating yeah. what is not theirs, which in effect is gunoff thieves, and the master's words in Yelkanon ten, "I am the good shepherd; all that have come before me." are thieves and robbers. Right. You know, so. Yeah, it's like a bunch of finger pointing, you know. It's like, oh, the Jews have cast out Yeshua. And it's like, well, the Christians have cast out Torah. <laughs> Don't accuse someone else of a sin that you can't find in yourself. Yeah. As the sages say, don't you can't judge a man unless you've walked in his shoes. Mm -hmm. So, for those I mean, of us who are marrying those two, Torah and Yeshua, you know it's important that we navigate through the crossfire and understand this right here: no misappropriation, produce fruits that are part of the immune the immuna that Hashem has given us get back into the light again and everything else you know it'll work out this yeah. is only for time yeah that's something I kind of thought about because when you, sometimes when we've gone over how um, Babylon will be destroyed or laid waste as it says in Revelation, referring to the uh, religious system of man, you know, looking for self-justification. Um, I mean, I've been seeing the uptick in anti-Semitism, yes, but also what else I'm seeing is an uptick in um, violent acts against uh you know, the church. Mm. And I'm thinking in my head, is this Mina Kanega Kamina? Yeah. On some level. You know, I put a limitation on that statement because, you know, there are some, well, there are some sincere believers within the church. Yeah. And we talked about this a couple episodes ago, actually. Yeah, you know, who are preyed upon by, I mean, you have sincere men who are preyed upon by less sincere men whose actions are devious. And I think this also is borne out in the Orkaim when he talks about they were very deceitful in their words when they trapped Moshe. So mm. think about how congregants are trapped by deceitful words of the theological system 
and it's like the I I know you've seen this too, where the pastor's theology becomes the congregant's theology. The pastor's understanding becomes the congregant's understanding. In my tenure in Pentecostal circles, I've always told my fellow brothers and sisters, you need to search the scriptures on your own. You need to be reading and studying on your own. Don't be dependent on the pastor exclusively. Because I had my own time, time of devotion. I was coming up with questions and I would go to the pastor and when he, he just could not answer them. Finally, I had to come to the decision, okay, well, it's, it's not a good place to really be because, you know, like you said, you're going to be making stuff up as you go along. So what I wound mm -hmm. up doing, as I've mentioned this in a few episodes ago, is that I had I kept them in my mind because I knew at some point it would get answered. Mm. And a lot of them have gotten answered. I just had to be patient. Right. Bergesham. Patience brings forth its fruit. Isn't it interesting? Patience is one of the fruits of the spirit. Exactly. <laughs> See, I, you know, it's when you keep the Jewish hermeneutic in mind, it just makes so much more sense, you know, because, you know, it's not going to contradict. Yeah. You know, they they trembled at his word. Even though the spies didn't. And then what's the next part we're going to get into next week? Oh, gosh. <laughs> or, uh, he, you know, I'm, uh, I'm under the impression that he took advantage of this situation. Yeah. And where were those women of those 250 men to stop their husbands from doing something rash? They were actually the instigators. Because the oh, Midrash said that Korak's yeah. wife was like, hey, that's like the garden all over again. Oh, 256 times? Oh, <laughs> you know there's got to be apples on that one. Oh, dude, don't make me get it out. <laughs> no, yeah, don't do it. Finish the faith thing. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, you know, the 250 times Hava or the 250, you know. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. So we we know that uh, uh, Ha Nakala and Ha Menuka equal 212. So it's written for uh, Ki Lo Ba Atim Ad Ata El Ha Menuka. El Hanakala Asher Adonai Eloheka no tame Leka. For you are not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God gives you. Deuteronomy 12, verse 9. For this reason, the book of Hebrews reveals that the land of Israel is the secret of rest, which at the simple level is Shabbat, but at a deeper level is Mashiach. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Hebrews 4, 9. Because Shabbat of what you just not. said now, I think of Israel being for space, Shabbat being for time, and Mashiach being for soul. The soul level, yeah. The third dimension. 
Wow. This is nice, man. I like this. I know this guy's, I mean, you, I mean, he just brings the soda, man. <laughs> I remember last week during, uh, um, when I was getting into this, um, Andrew was still on. And he actually told me so that, you know, I went to school for math because I think he said he was an engineer or something. Yep. Mechanic. Said, I have never. Yeah. Okay. You. Were, that's right. You were there too. You remember what he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I cannot believe that this simple mathematics yields so much secrets. Yeah. And he was upset that he couldn't see it coming. He was just coming. like. Like, okay, yeah, 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 32 plus, yeah, or 32 times, whatever, you know, equals that. And it's like, well, that means, uh, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that was incredible. I love seeing that. It was just like a little, well, that that's a disturbing image. It was like uh, being in a, a test lab for uh, highly explosive devices that you could play with from a safe distance uh with all the protective gear and it was just like watching him play with all those and he was just like oh my gosh that's crazy oh you know what i have that movie the martian and when he's <laughs> he's making that greenhouse and growing the potatoes in the hab and he needs hydrazine to to make um to bring some humidity and some water and the first time he ignites it it blows up in his face <laughs> And it blows them across the room. I'm like, oh, dude, you should have thought about that. The amount of oxygen in the hab, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know? And it, this oh, is okay. kind of like that. I think people reach a saturation point with this when, I, when I'm sharing it. And he, I think even Yosef left. <laughs> yeah. I think it was yeah. even too crazy for him, you know? He's like... <laughs> yeah. You know? Just like I got to get ready for service in the morning. <laughs> you guys are still going crazy over here. I can't get it. To be honest, I can't get enough. I love Gamatria. Yeah, this is our portion because that's my thing too. Like I know, like you said before, you have your different areas. You know, some people take the Agata and they just go crazy, and it's just kind of like, okay, this is a little far fetched. I mean, I know it's Hazal and everything, but goodness you know sometimes when you're reading stuff you're just like uh what (laughs) where is he going with this (laughs) yeah yep yeah okay so shabbat is light for the gematria of shabbat is 702 which is the mirror image of 207 the gematria of light or Mm -hmm. the gematria of yehi or genesis 1 3 is 238, which is the mirror image of 832. Eretz Yisrael. That, those two grabbed me, man. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> it was like what you were doing with 8, 832, adding them up, the individual integers. Good. You get 13. Wow. Oh, hang on, hit my button. That was crazy. <laughs> I lost on Jeopardy. 
the Hebrew for uh, Menukat Shabbat in Gematria is 1206, which is exactly the Gematria of light if Aleph is augmented to 1000 Aleph. Which is the two Mashiachs. Mm. Did you know Mashiach Ben Yosef, Mashiach Ben David is the Gematria 1000? Nice. And I am the light of the world. Mm-hmm. Anoki Haor Olam. I got some parts of the Dalish Gospels memorized in Hebrew. <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> oh, man. Milk and honey. Here we go. The land of Israel is the land flowing with milk and honey. I kept going on about this, repeating it as we were going through the commentaries. You're milking it? For sure. <laughs> okay. Milk is from blood and honey is from bees. Both are clean products. From an unclean source. Mm. Hence, the land of Israel is a place that transforms the unclean into clean. What was the prayer I was reading from the Talmud? Yep. Don't pronounce things that are pure, impure, and don't pronounce impure, pure. And then Acts 10. Not so, Lord. I have not eaten anything that is unclean. Wow. Which was all about people. Inclusion of Gentiles into the household of Eretz Yisrael, the household of faith, the saints. Mm -hmm. That's transforming that which is impure to me to Tahor. Man. Wow, because Hashem was purifying people. Like to think of Shaul going to the house of uh Titus Justice. We just read about in Acts 18. Yeah. I mean, think about how many people would have actually done that. That's it's a like Roman this. in charge of that shul. Good night, man. That's like <laughs> The prototype of the exile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's still with the temple still standing. That's with the temple still standing. With. Wow. And you know that the halakha of the day was only the only a goy could go into the court of the Gentiles. Yep. And there was a, actually there was a sign at one end of the court of the Gentiles that said, do not pass under pain of death. Yep, because you got to get circumcised. Yep. So we know, okay, milks is from blood, honey's from bees. Both are clean products from the unclean source. Hence, the land of Israel is a place that transforms the unclean into clean. This is the same concept of Torah and Mashiach. And we have in Shir Hasharim 411, your lips, oh my bride, drop honey. 
honey and milk are under your tongue, and the smell of your garments is like the smell of Lebanon. Okay, Kariach, Lebanon, as the Gematria of 376. It's the Gematria of Shalom. Ooh. The rest in Mashiach. The temple was built with the cedar of Lebanon. Bar Arze, Lebanon. And Gematria is 358. The same as Mashiach. Where was I just reading? I was reading in uh, was it? Oh, what is it? There was a whole there was a whole drop on Shalom that was connected to the knowledge of knowing the Mashiach. Uh, I'll just tab for now. Please keep going. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Lebanon is a compound of Lev. Lamed Vet, Gematria 32. Oh, here we go. And Noon, the secret of the 32 paths of wisdom and 50 gates of understanding. Kalev can be understood as like heart corresponding to love i.e. the 32 paths of wisdom Joshua ben Nun the son of Nun 50 can be understood as the son of the 50 gates of understanding for this reason he is called bin Nun not ben Nun for he is binah meaning understanding. Kelev is the descendant of Yehuda and Tamar, and Tamar is the palm tree that transforms the bitterness of the desert into date honey. Yehoshua is the descendant of Yosef and Asnat, and Yosef represents the blood that was shed by his 10 brothers which blood was ultimately transformed into kindness, milk, to his brothers. Yehuda has uh, Gematria of 30, Tamar 640, Yosef 156, Asnat 511, total 1,337, is exactly the Gematria of David Batsheva, a.k.a. Bashua in First Chronicles 3 5. And Solomon, aka Kohelet, symbolizing the two comings of Mashiach as one son of David, Kohelet the Gatherer. David 24 spelled with the Vav. Uh, but uh, Shua 778, Kohelet 535. 1,337. The first coming of Mashiach is symbolized by Yehoshua bin Nun, which correspond to blood, the death of Mashiach. And with the resurrection from the dead, the blood is transformed into milk that sustains life, 
This is the 50 gates of understanding. The second coming of Mashiach is symbolized by Caleb ben Yefune, will correspond to honey, the final redemption as the pleasure of honey. This is the 32 paths of wisdom. The land of Israel therefore represents the 72 bridges of knowledge. And knowledge is the secret of connection. This is the knowledge of Mashiach, Da'at Mashiach. Lukamatria is 832, exactly that of the land of Israel. So he's tying all this together, man. I mean, it's like, yeah. New covenant. The entry. Hey, of, before you go on, uh, what was the, the 376 again? The Shalom? Where was that at? Yeah. Yeah. 376 is the Gematria for Shalom. What was the statement that he made with that? Uh, like the smell of Lebanon. Perfect. Kiriak, Lebanon. So the smell of Lebanon, which we know the Lebanon is the temple because it whitens the sins of Israel from the word Levon, which means white. So this is what I was thinking about. It was Ephesians chapter four, verse three. But to read it in context, as a prisoner of Hashem, then I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you received and with all humility and gentleness and patience, <laughs> bearing with one another in love and with diligence, preserve the unity of the Ruach through the bond of Shalom. Mm. That's the sweet smelling garment is the, the unification of the, the family. And then so. the phrase uh, Bar Artse, Lebanon, is 358, the Gematria of Mashiach. What's the Bar Artse? Uh, cedars of Lebanon. Ooh. Wow. The basically the planks or the beams, mm -hmm. the trees, mm -hmm. the wood, the, the wood that's used in the Beit Hamikdash, in other words, as a gematria of 358. <laughs> Same as Mashiach. It, Tear down this temple. And where did Yeshua spend most of, in Yochanan's Basora, where did he spend most of his time? Yeah, in the temple. At least in the, in the environs of the temple. Right. Brought in the courtyard. Yep. Wow. See, even he understood that you just can't go marching into the holy place and then also the most holy place yeah he didn't do that even though the writer of hebrews says that he is a kohen forever after the order of melchizedek but his priesthood is of a different order 
That's mm -hmm. why he did not go into the earthly Beit HaMikdash. Wow. Imagine what kind of rearrangement that would have done in the higher worlds. <laughs> but see, that's where his work is, is in the higher worlds. Yeah. But if it's improperly done from the from the lower worlds up, you know, it's like the re right rewiring there. the separate kind of thing. See, this is why it's important to understand that Aaron's priesthood is Hukar Olam, eternal decree. Yeah. Without Aaron's priesthood, you have no idea what Mashiach does in the higher worlds. Yeah, order. Okay, so you're going to go in a new covenant? Yeah, okay. So the entry of Caleb and Yehoshua to the land of Israel symbolizes the secret of the new covenant. And they, the first generation, could not enter because of unbelief, Hebrews 3.19. <clears throat> okay, 32 paths of wisdom <clears throat> is two times four squared. 50 gates of understanding is two times five squared and 72 bridges of knowledge is two times six squared. The formula is uh, two times N uh, two, where the N of wisdom is four, the N of understanding is five, and the N of knowledge is six. So we have 32 plus 50 plus 72 equals 154, the gematria of Olam Haba, as symbolized by the land of Israel. Four plus five plus six plus 154 <laughs> equals 169, which is 13 squared, i.e. the triad is one, echad, There is a higher knowledge and then there is a lower knowledge. The higher knowledge is crown. The gematria in the order of ascent, i.e. understanding, wisdom, and crown is 929. So you have the 50 gates of understanding, which is 50 is equal to 2 times 5 times 5, 5 squared. Uh, Bina understanding, which is 67, the 32 paths of wisdom, 32, 4 squared. Hokmah, wisdom, 73. Then you have the 72 bridges of knowledge. 72 equals 2 times 6 times 6. Keter, crown, 620. Altogether equal 929. 929 is exactly the gematria of Brit Hadashah, which is also the gematria of Mashiach Le Yisrael, meaning the new covenant is the revelation of Mashiach to Israel. <laughs> Can you repeat that statement? Because that right there, the revelation of Mashiach to Israel is the Brit Hadashah. Well, I guess I just repeated it, but <laughs> yeah, nine hundred and twenty-nine, which is the total of all the all the 
which is the first coming of Joshua, the second coming of Caleb, Olam Haba, land of Israel, is the gematria of Brit Hadashah, renewed covenant. Which is, when we, oh, go ahead. which is also the gematria of Mashiach Le Yisrael. Yeah, because I was thinking about the Jeremiah passage where Shem says, I'll renew the covenant. And it's in Jeremiah as well that we learn about Mashiach being our righteousness and the greater exodus that Hashem is going to bring about through him because uh, it says, no longer will you remember that I'm the one who brought you up out of Mitzrayim. You know, like it's going to be a, on a even greater scale. And so just thinking about the, the things with the new covenant is the the revelation of what we used to have in the garden but even deeper levels than that because it's the infinity that we never received from the original infinity stones namely the sapphire tablets oh. <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> yeah sorry i had to throw that in there but i was just like infinity infinity stones it's like oh yeah the sapphire tablets but anyway <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching Expanse all day, so I got the proto molecule in my head. <laughs> Dude, yeah, proto molecule. Like I, I still haven't looked that up yet, but that's been something that I'm just like, wow, like that's intense. But yes, that, and so the whole thing with the Brit Hadashah is getting into that, you know, understanding the cedars of Lebanon, the the fragrance of the garment, being judged by smell, you know, the the rest and the inheritance, the, the amuna, the, the thinking of and speaking of worlds. Because that, that's going to happen. That's happening now that we're doing these things. We don't even realize it. You know, we, we talk to ourselves sometimes and we, we don't realize the power of our words that we do create worlds. But seeing those things actualized and being able to see the tangible return of our spiritual doings. That's coming up. Yeah, it's I, can, I went back to that verse that he quoted, Shir Hashirim 411. You know, and it's like I keep thinking about the uh, the Keteret Mizbeach and how it's a and then the Mizbiak Olah, and, and that is a sweet savior in the nostrils of Hashem. Yeah. There it is. And the smell of your garments is like the smell of Lebanon. See, that's where he makes the connection with the cedars of Lebanon, you know, Kareach, uh, Lebanon, is Shalom. And then Bar Art say Lebanon, three fifty eight. I mean, what, what what kind of wood was the master executed on? Yeah, they say cedar or acacia or. Yeah. So probably the same probably. material that the Bishkan or the temple was built out of. Perhaps, you know, it's just a thought, you know. Or the wood that... Yeah. I'm uh, referring uh, to the wood. What was used? What was he nailed to? 
because Abraham split the wood, and that's the word for Yaakov. Uh, yeah. And you know what? And Yitzhak carried the wood up to Moriah. The triad. The Echad. You were speaking of the triads just a minute ago. Yeah. There it is, because you have Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov oh. a bit, a present at the Akedah. And Yaakov's on the level of Hased. Um, well, Abraham, Abraham's primary trait was Hased. Yitzhak's was Gevura. And Yaakov was the, was the met truth. But also, um, you could put him in Tiferet, possibly. Well, he was. But the, the point being is that this the body of Zerampin. Yeah. Yeah, I've actually read that in the Zohar. Yaakov is called Tiferet Zerampin. Yeah. Um, yeah, the um, the second of the three triads of the Sephiro. Which is crazy because that's basically saying the binding agent of the father and the son is to ferret. And then you have the word, in the uh, they have the word Evan. Mm -hmm. You have Ben, son, and you have Av, father. So the when Mashiach was on the stake, that was the Evan. That was the binding of the father and the son. Yeah. Through Teferit, Zeranpin. And and the word, the Devar, was made flesh, or Shakan. It dwelt among us. Mm -hmm. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten or in unity. Ha Yakud with the Father. Yep, Sha'ar Ha Yakud, the and gate. What I was reading from here, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, that's, you know, a little getting just a little deeper here, you know. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, you know, the what these spies were doing, man, it just, they just were stuck in the physical, you know? Yeah, but on a spiritual plane at the same time, which has to be kind of awkward and crazy. Because <laughs> they are, they're on, they're on a lofty <laughs> level. <laughs> At least they thought they were. Yeah. Until the heavenly decree came about and said, oh boy, we're in trouble now. <laughs> you know. Um, but I like what the Orkayim says, you know, for the fact, for in fact, we find that these men were chosen by the word of Hashem himself. So like 10, like Judas to the 10th power. And why do we need a minion for certain prayers? Wow. Come on, man. Takoon of the spies. 
There's also in the Minka prayers uh, on a, uh, a Samnu, we have become guilty. Mm -hmm. And that prayer has 22 uh, stanzas corresponding to the 22 letters of the Aleph Bet. Wow. And I think yeah. before you even get to that prayer in Minka, there's Takanun, uh, the confession. Mm hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. And then you go to Avino Malkanu. Our father, our king, we have no king but you. You know, we have sinned before you. <laughs> so. You know, that really takes us back to last week about the light and it revealing our flaws. You know, and it's super powerful that ultimately we need to get to a place of confession so that we can rebuild. You know, the, it was said that the Mishkan was built on atonement. The way they built the Mishkan was on the half shekelim. Atonement money. Because of the golden calf. Yeah. Why? Because the calf was built with the money that they brought, they came out with. Uh. That was supposed <laughs> to be for the ketubah. Mm. You just took the dowry and used it for idolatrous purposes. Yep. And, and that reminds me of people who think they know how to pronounce the name. You are oh. taking something holy and that is holy that is never meant for mundane purposes. Because those four letters point to the Ain Sof, the infinite nothing. Yeah. Because you are bringing a form. You're, that's your golden calf. Because what you're really saying is what Israel said. Say mm -hmm. um, Eloheka, Yisrael. These Every are your gods. These are your gods, O Israel. And why does mm -hmm. the Torah use the, the plural instead of the singular in its description of that of that incident? is to remind us that idolatry comes in many different forms. Mm. It doesn't matter what it is, you know, it, it's, if you're, if you're saying this is my God, then you're putting it before Hashem and that's it. You know, you're guilty, you know, and you have to give account to the King of the universe, you know, and say, okay, why did you do that? You know? Yeah. Although I would rather have him deal with me in the here and now. Yeah. You you don't want what's on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean I want my I want my portion in the world to come to be what it's supposed to be, you know. 
you know, what the heavenly court ordains for me. Because the sages say that you're given a certain number of words to speak in life. And once you've spoken them, you will pass from this world. That's it. That'll make you think. Yeah, I know. Okay, so I better think about how many words I'm going to use. <laughs> oh, but, you know, that's really not the point. But, yeah. When I was reading this last night, I'm like, man. I mean, he's like going at warp speed here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like some huge, like a like in Star Trek, man, a warp core breach, man, and that's a serious explosion, you know. Oh wow. <laughs> you know, when that much matter and antimatter are brought together, oh yeah, it's serious. <laughs> man. Um but yeah, okay. that's it, man. Um Rukashim, what a great rumination, man. Yeah. Get ready for the three weeks. Bain Hamitsarim. All right. If there is enough battery, I want to say two things <laughs> before we leave. Uh, this is from uh, Raskin. So he says two kids are lying next to each other outside a hospital operating room. The first kid leans over and asks, What are you here for? I'm getting my tonsils removed. The second kid says, and I'm a little nervous. The first kid answers, you've got nothing to worry about. I had that done when I was four. They put you to sleep. When you wake up, you get lots of jello and ice cream. It's a breeze. What are you in here for? The second kid asked. A circumcision. Whoa. Good luck, buddy. I had that done when I was born and I couldn't walk for a year so that that that's the first thing i want to say the second thing is this it says the jewish people were devastated and wept that entire night they said why does adonai bring us to this land to fall by the sword our wives our children will be as spoils is it not better for us to return to egypt the, that the night they wept became known as the ninth of Av. Centuries later, the first and second holy temples were destroyed on the ninth of Av. Subsequently, many other calamities befell the Jewish people on that same date. As the Talmud says, since the Jews wept in vain, God gave them something to cry for. The number of verses in our parsha is 119, which is the gematria of Dima which is tears. The Arizal explains that Dima has the same gematria as Moed, which is festival. For the objective of tears is to bring about a festival through Teshuva and repentance. As, which by the way means confession, um, what we were just talking about, but also drawing closer because Teshuvah was about how close can we get to Hashem, which is infinite, by the way. Uh, it says, as the Rambam states, when the Jewish people do Teshuvah, 
which is through tears. They're redeemed, which is through the festival immediately. Through the genuine tears of remorse, one can transform the ninth of Av, a day of calamity, into the greatest festival when the third Beit HaMikdash will descend from heaven together with all the vessels and vestments. May this be major kavanah and major yearnings of our heart and our thoughts and our speech. And may we speak about these worlds of existence of the third Beit HaMikdash and the Olam Haba being manifest in our days and our lifetimes swiftly, speedily, and in our days. Are you looking for something or you ready for the breath? Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I, I was just pulling up that rumination for that week, but I'm not going to give any spoilers because that's Bain Hamisarim. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely a, that's what makes the the warmer summer months, you know, because Shabbat begins later. You know, people tend to be more relaxed. They want to go out and do things, you know, and it's real easy to fall into that. But during the three weeks, you know, I'm usually focused during the three weeks, you know, because I'm studying, I'm learning more about the sin of the golden calf. But now with all the sources I have now, I can really just get into it seriously. You know, like apples from the orchard on that partial. You mm -hmm. know, so, I mean, that's my plan. And that's what I'm going to do. Because when we come to that in the podcast, you know, I'm going to be ready with some very serious insight. I mean. Well, so, may we see the temple speedily and soon in our days with the coming of Mashiach. Yeah. Get um, this exile over. I'm tired of yeah, it. That's as much up to us, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's make it happen. Um, but uh, prayer after study. Uh, uh. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established my portion with idlers. For I arise early, and they arise early. I arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. I toil, and they toil. I toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come and they run to the pit of destruction as it is written. And you, O oh God, will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam Asher Natan Lanu Torat Emet, Vekaye Olam Nata Betokenu, Baruch Ata Aronai, Notain Ha Torah.
Amen.